What's going on, Misfits? How you doing? How you doing? How your mama doing? How your kids doing? How your dogs doing? I'm in a good mood this week. I'm in a good mood because I got one of my, you know how you meet a person and like, even though you're not like super tight friends, but they like really have a little place in your heart because you feel like they're so sweet and tender and you just want to protect them and punch everybody in the face. Well, that's the way I feel about our guest this week, Leah Bonima. She is a writer, producer, comedian, super funny. Check out her stuff. And she comes from Maine. So I guess that's why like, I want to like protect her because she's just like too good to be true Uh, and you'll see why because she's just such a lovely person and so smart and talented um also people get on me because I don't promote myself enough I know I've been telling you how much I want to make this podcast like the biggest thing in the world which is true but I also do stand-up comedy and I feel like you know if you want to come see me perform who am I to hold you back so I have a ton of shows coming up you can see them all chloehilliard.com I have all my shows that are listed all throughout New York City and also big news big show alert April 12th through the 14th I'll be opening for Russell Peters in Greensville South Carolina at the Comedy Zone so I'll have that in the descriptions as well so if you're in the South and you want to come and see your girl you got four shows to come see me kick it and bring some boiled peanuts too because that's my jam yeah I'm a southerner like that you're listening to Social Misfit Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Social Misfit with me, your host, Chloe Hilliard, and I have returned to my couch in my house with Winnie sitting beside me. I'm joined by comedian, actor, director, producer, star. (laughs) I love all these titles. Leah Bonema. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Which is true, because Leah recently had a pilot. Yeah, a pilot. Yeah, I did a pilot. So we did a teaser of the pilot. Mm -hmm. So like 10 minute scene. Um, that we produced. I didn't direct it, but I wrote it and produced it. Co-produced and the sh- it. Show called the show's called Solving Leah. Solving Leah, and it's a a mock. It's a detective story. It's a detective story, and it's a it's a comedy, but it is a mystery. Like I wrote it as a book a long time ago, mm. and then went back to it and put my like comedic meanderings in. So can people see it? Can you watch it online anywhere? We don't. We just have the trailer up. We don't have the the full teaser up because we're trying to sell it. Sell it. Got it. And so your goal is to sell it, solving Leah as a 30 minute show. Yep. As a 30 minute scripted comedy. I I broke the, the story up into it would be 10 episodes mm-hmm. of 30 minutes, but I think it would work in, you know, there's so much now that's online. I think yeah. it would work in like 10 minute eps or, you know, if I think we're all really invested. I really like the story. So and it excited me creatively. So it was like. I could even do it as a independent film mm-hmm. since it was already the whole story is already done. And what's the premise so people can get excited about it? The premise is this character Leah Baldessari, who's uh, <laughs> an Italian transplant to New York City. She's like in a like an emotional bad place in her life. Like mm-hmm. her father just died, and she sort of didn't get back together from it. So she's like going through the motions and so while she goes through the motions um she gets set up for murder it looks like she murdered mm. her boss's wife and um, moved all these funds oh. um, because she's sort of like a people pleaser and an overworker so she did all these things that she shouldn't have done yeah but she wasn't paying attention got it and then nobody believes that she didn't do it because she's sort of so she says the wrong things and she mm-hmm. keeps you know and um, so then she sets out to solve the crime herself 
and then partners up with this like local PI. Got it. And so there is some autobiographical elements to this character because you two are very nice. I'm too, yeah. Which leads us into your social media post. Oh, Leah. I already forgot that I closed my phone. <laughs> Please read us your social media post. My post was, or is, I just accidentally said, bless you to a stranger who coughed, and now I can't make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> Why could you not make eye contact, Leah? Because what was in the gym locker room, you know, and it's so tight. Yeah. And then I, this lady coughed. And I said, bless you. And I feel like everybody looked at me like, she coughed, you idiot. Like, it wasn't a sneeze. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't say bless you when people cough. And then I was just like, I'm always saying the wrong thing. And then I just felt like I had to hang my head and hide. Mind you, there's people, women in there with their titties dragging on the floor. Oh, yeah. Towels on their head, but not on their bodies. Sitting on a bench with nothing between their skin and that metal or that wood. And you feel like you are the idiot. <laughs> yeah. That's, yep. I always feel embarrassed. Why? So, okay, so Leah and I are friends, even though it's the first time she's been to my house, but this is a New York thing, so that's normal. And it's so weird how it is normal in New York. Yeah. And I get out of the city, you're like, that is a. You it's never- a marker of friendship. It's like, you, you can come by my house whenever. Yeah. And New York is like, oh no, you finally came to my house. <laughs> we'll, meet, we'll meet in the middle in New York. That's yeah. what it is. So, Leah is such a sweet woman. And the other night we were at a party. For Joel Johnson screening of her late night set on Seth Meyers. Yes. And it was it was a jam packed, but it was packed. It was a lot of people. And a show had just come out. So the people coming out and walking past us. And people are walking by and Leah is going above and beyond to get out of people's way. <laughs> and I'm telling her, no, make them say excuse me. You're awkward right now. You just your your body temperature just went up a couple degrees. Oh, it totally because- did. I but I, I don't feel like they they just had to get out. It wasn't like they were... They were pushing you out of the way and they weren't saying, excuse me. And then I said, no, make them say, excuse me. I didn't feel like they weren't not saying, excuse me. They were just... (laughs) They were coming from behind you and pushing you. You were up against a table. I was up against a table. and I. But I was also like standing, you know... (laughs) This is really... I can't. This is really one of my... You know, you have to stand firm footed and make them move around you. There just wasn't a lot of space. Leah, they were coming two abreast. Yeah, they could have gone one at a time. Yes. And that's why I said, tell them to say, excuse me. And I tried to push you in a way so they would have to say, excuse me. And you freaked out. I was like, no. <laughs> so why are you so night? Where are you from? Maine? From Maine. Is that why? I don't know if it's a Maine thing. I don't know. What if is it's- the Maine slogan again? The state slogan? The way life should be. That's what it is? Or is it vacation land? It can't be vacation land. No, I think it is. Oh my God, let's look this up. Why would it be vacation land? I don't know. I think because people from Maine have a whole other idea of what a vacation is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, isn't that crazy that there was a time in American history where people were like, we need a state slogan. And Um, they thought about it. I think it probably has, but we're both... I think we are the way life should be. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. It used to be, it used to be formerly vacation land. And now it, it must be Maine the way life should be. Hmm. So what, so what, what should life be like according to Maine? I think they're just, it's a, uh, it's, it's uh, like when you go to, have you been to Maine? 
Uh, yeah, uh, several times. Were you on the coast or were you more? All over, doing colleges. I feel like it feels very separate. Yeah. It's there's something that's just sort of like you feel like mm-hmm. you've left maybe the rest of, <laughs> you know what I mean? The continent of the U.S. Yeah, it's just sort of, um, I think people, well, I'm from a rural area. It's different than people that are on the coast. To the coast is more like fancy, I think. Yeah. But I think rural people, they're like, the way life should be, you know, you burn your own wood and you, for heat and you have a garden and you dig mm. your car out and. Yeah, I've been to Portland. I've been to Bar Harbor. Um, and some other places. Yeah, some places that I can't even pronounce. Yeah, they're like the coastal. I don't mm-hmm. want to say. Well, Portland's like the big city in quotes. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting when you think about like there are definitely parts of this country where it is very it's still very rural and people still chopping firewood and plowing and ski wait ski walking was it ski shoeing snowshoeing and cross country skiing and downhill skiing yeah so that's your life I mean that's not my life now obviously I know I mean you've been in New York but I grew up like that yeah do you miss it at all um you know I didn't used to um at all I was like so. You know, when you grow up somewhere and you're like, this isn't, this doesn't mix with my, the way my, yeah, whatever is inside me works. But then there is a part of me, I realize more and more that I do miss um, rural things. Like when I go home, I go in the woods. Like I like, I like the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that kind of space sort yeah. of um, that I didn't think I would miss. I also miss like... I th- my mom my mom was in the car accident mm-hmm. i went home to take care of her like we didn't um because my dad went back to work so i stayed with my mom i don't think i cooked for like a month two months because people in the, the my dog farted just to let you oh, know. was it coming over yeah um people would bring food over you mm-hmm. know what i mean because it's like a small town and they like you know what i mean so yeah. you know people and that used to bother me growing up because anytime i got in trouble people would call my parents you know what i mean wow. everybody knew immediately yeah. and i think that's why i'm so aware because people are like ah, oh, the bottom of my daughter you mm-hmm. know what i mean but then it also has a nice side where it's like people will show up for you if something goes wrong mm-hmm. um and that was really i really appreciated that that's nice I was somewhere yesterday and a friend got locked out of the apartment and she, thankfully, she like knew her neighbors and was able to call them. And I was like, oh, that's such a rare thing because most people in New York don't really know their neighbors to the point of having their phone number. Yeah, no, not at all. To call them for something. Like the days of borrowing sugar are over and done with. Like you would not. When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in an apartment complex. So all the families, I mean, granted, it was Hasidic Jewish, but all of the non Hasidic Jewish families all knew each other because we were like so few and far between. And so my mother would be like, go upstairs to the sixth floor and borrow two eggs from so and so. Yeah. But you don't, we don't do that. We don't. And I, you know, I used to maybe be like, oh, that's not a cool side of me or or more like I want to be angry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like there is a huge part of me that I sort of want that more than I realized. Yeah. So how do you handle those things? Um, You know, I was volunteering in different organizations for a while. And then right now, you know, this is so not a comedy that I'm looking for a new church Mm -hmm. that does, um, you know, the church I grew up in, a lot of it was based on like a a volunteer schedule. So it's like a church that, but I also, I have so many rules for the church that I need to belong to. Oh, I want to hear all of them. That it's, it needs, it's, you know. I'm all ears. It has to be, I like, um, well, obviously it has to be a liberal church. Mm -hmm. So they have to, 
you know, the churches and um, Protestants, you have to go through a thing where you're like, this church uh, approves same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. you know, so they have to. And then I always like sort of, you can tell by a church's statement, I need them in some way to recognize that there are like multiple paths to God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like people of different religions. It's not like they're valuing one above this the other. This is the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be respectful in that way. And then um, uh, I like singing. Mm-hmm. Like some churches, it's just so I, I want hymns. like a bit of a celebration. You want a choir, yeah, like a standalone choir, not like open your book, your hymn book. And yeah, I want a choir. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it can be in any form. Yeah, because um, some people don't have a lot of people. You know what I mean? You can yeah. do. And then um, I like uh, I like a church that recognizes, like however they do it, is you know that recognizes science as like a real thing. That like God and science are not against each other so you're in new york city you should be able to find that checklist of things yeah i found a church that i liked and then but it also has like this sounds ridiculous but it was like then you're like it needs to be a place that i can get to you know what i mean it's like a whole i really liked this last church and i felt you know they call it open and affirming you know what i mean Mm -hmm. when they're like this it's very like pro same-sex marriage and you know everybody's welcome and um so I found one that I really liked, but it was all the way downtown. Mm-hmm. And so it's like Sunday mornings. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they did have a, they have a regular food kitchen schedule, um, which is what we're looking for. And so, but then I found this interfaith church in near me in Queens. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try out. Okay. So like, that's one of the things I'm looking, you know, I'm just trying to find, uh, I feel like I, you know, we're very much in our own community in the comedy community. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I need to find something that's, sacred and yours outside of comedy or just like regular life things that mm. i are i feel like aren't maybe i'm starting to recognize maybe aren't being um because we're very cynical people yeah and we're isolated in our own way and we we're in a what's it call it an echo chamber so comics tend to promote the same type of behavior and if you were to say hey i'm doing i'm gonna work a soup because you're like why the fuck are we working a soup kitchen like they would kind of make fun of it. Yeah. And I'm fine with being made fun of. You know, I used to do a lot of political stuff and I'm not writing with lady parts anymore. And that sort of filled like this, um, uh, you know. Something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just sort of need to be a part of. I want to be a part of a group of people that feel like they're doing something because they believe in a larger c- community goal. And so when you think back on your main childhood, how, what do you think sets you up for that? Oh, I grew up in a very religious family. Like like oppressive religious? Or? My parents' family is oppressive. Um, okay. But they're, my, they're respective families. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but they aren't. But I mean, it's still in them. Like you can see. As they get older, it starts to come out more. Well, with my parents, it's always been there. But it's not like it's not direct. It's just you can see that they have these like, um, you know, I think it affects their own life. Like the, they grew up in a church. It's really weird. Like when you look at sort of some fundamental parts of Christianity where it's like a part of like being positive or proud of yourself is somehow hubristic, mm-hmm. which I don't like at all. Yeah. And so like my parents really have a lot of self-doubt and like they're very good artists. They've made their living as an artist, which I mean, we all know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they ra- they raise me, you know what I mean? They not, they own their own home. Like they've done an incredible job and they'll still be like, so questioning and like, oh, undeserving. You know what I mean? And these are, I know things that came from this, yeah. but their current church isn't like that. It's okay. just, I feel like once you get it in there, yeah. 
it's so hard to work it out. But their church was just very like um, a lot of volunteer stuff. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my mom today because she was she joined this community action group called uh, it's like main action now. And it's like um, people. What can I do? Mm -hmm. So like they're making they're going to the anti gun march. And so my mom was making. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she was talking about how if I remembered like she brought me to marches when I was like a baby. So I think it's all in there. Yeah. That's true. I think I think a lot of things that happen in your childhood imprint on you and you really don't even recognize it. Yeah. It's just in I really think that my mom my mom really is like a she's like the parts of Christianity that like she believes in she really cares about other people in so this way that she's a Mr. Rogers Christian. Yeah. But then she also sometimes I think cares too much about oh no, what other people think. There's that side of it where she's yeah. always like, Leah, be quiet. What mm-hmm. are you doing? You yeah, know, don't cause a ruckus. It's interesting how Christianity has, um, has definitely done a number on the American psyche. Oh, for sure. I think culturally this country is very much repressed as a result of, christianity oh yeah and how it it kind of so in the black community i'm not speaking for all black people but i'm saying in my experiences in the black community when it comes to christianity we have this idea of it's later greater you're going to suffer now it's going to be terrible you're going to be oppressed you're going to be miserable but if you suffer through this then you'll be rewarded on the other side and was that something that you felt resonated in your religious family or like what is your take from like a rural like rural christianity versus you know my experiences um well i feel like my parents parents church was like suffer suffer now but like you you deserve it wasn't like suffer now because you're actually necessarily going through something it was like you you should be suffering now Mm. for you know what i mean which is like a different it was like a it's like who are you to be happy yeah god has done so much for you yeah and it was also like they're very into sin like upset like obsessed about it which Mm -hmm. i think is a part of the repression um and i don't think my my parents church actually really doesn't focus as much on um like you be good or as a reward you'll get an afterlife Mm -hmm. it's you know uh, i felt like the main thing was like things are hard but over there is it's there is a eternity of love on the other side mm-hmm. um so take the good and the bad but it'll be overall better yeah not as so much as a reward but as like a having faith to continue on mm, okay this is a journey yeah yeah that makes sense i definitely i definitely believe comedy has made me become way more analytical when it comes to religion and I'm not at a place now where I feel like I want to belong to a church. Um, but I am interested in religions in plural. Yeah. Just like how you said, like you want a church that acknowledges that there's more than one way to, to worship and be connected to your higher being. Because for my whole life, it was like, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. He's the only person. And then you're like, well, what about all these other religions? Yeah, there's all these other people going on. Because I feel like they kind of say the same thing. And then, and then now because of, I think where we are in popular culture and the whole, you know, black girl magic and, you know, um, all that stuff, there's a lot of mention of like the ancient religions now. So you people are talking about like the Orishas and Beyonce was dressed like, you know, one of these deities in the yellow and everybody's talking about that now. And, you know, Yoruba and Santeria and so like all these other things you're like, 
oh, there's been a whole world of things before us. Oh, yeah. And women, anything that was like a woman goddess has been shunned and shamed and put down. And that's, I mean, the politics of Christianity, I am not into. But I think the essence of it, which is what I think is the essence of all of these, which is like, be good to other people. Mm -hmm. um, That's important. I know. But that's really what the essence is. And all this other stuff is just like a way to make people nervous, a way to make money, a mm-hmm. way to control people. And a lot of times a, a way to put women down. Yeah, I was just I was in a hotel the other night. I was at a college show and Clash of the Titans came on. And I was like, look, at all these women goddesses. When you look at all of these like Greek and Roman mythologies, it's all it's all women. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's like a big guy, God, God in top, you know, Odin or whoever else or or whatever but it was a lot of women and people pray to women goddesses and we don't have that in christianity no if anything they they minimize mary as somebody who just got knocked up by an angel right and had a baby in a manger and then for so long they said mary magdalene was a prostitute because they didn't want to admit that jesus had a, re- a relationship with a woman she's like oh she was just a prostitute and she was like his best friend yeah Prostitutes often make best friends, though. Yeah, but I'm I, sure. they know how to listen. <laughs> yeah, they're like, uh huh, uh huh. What if prostitutes are the chosen people? I mean, they take the weak, the meek, the sick, make them feel good, make them feel good. She <laughs> snores. Yeah, there's something to think about. I'm just like, what, like, like, what, what happens when everything is revealed and everything that we kind of ostracize or demonize was actually the things like, like, you know, you watch those movies and it'll be like a bum on the street and then he'll end up being like an angel or something right. like that. And you're just like, what if all that stuff is the stuff that's been keeping us moving? Well, I feel like the whole point is that like every person is it's every person is equal. Like I thought that was the whole thing with the prostitutes and like at the time pe- the tax collectors were like really, you know, nobody wanted to hang out with them. And Jesus was like, oh, we're hanging out with the tax collector. You know, and it was the whole point was that we're all on the same playing field. Yeah. I just watched a trailer for uh, Mr. Mr. Rogers, I guess, movie that's coming out called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I was emotionally touched. Did oh, you I watch seen the trailer yet? Did you I don't watch, know if I could handle that. Did you watch Mr. Rogers? I did watch out? Mr. Rogers. He was out of his time. He was definitely Christian, very religious, but he believed that everybody was equal. And he did things like, I guess, after John F. Because he was on television for like 40 years. So after John uh, John F. Kennedy's assassination, he did a week, a, a week of shows. Cause he came on every day. A week of shows about death and assassination. Then in the 70s, he did a show about like a couple series about divorce and explaining what divorce was. And he did something about like segregation. And he had like a black police officer who worked in the neighborhood. And one day he was, you know, it was a summer day and they were hot. And he, Mr. Rogers had his feet in a pool and he asked the officer, would you like to dip your feet in a pool and cool down? He said yes. And showing those two people in that pool was to speak to like the whole segregation movement. So he did a lot of things. From, you know, from a faith-based person, because he was religious, he thought everybody was equal, that would have been like, which was unheard of at the time. Yeah. And he was targeting young kids who were very impressionable, who like took the lesson and hopefully were better for it. I don't know. I remember, I don't remember, I remember one day he was talking about something serious and sad and Mm -hmm. I was like thrown off for a week. I was like, Mr. (laughs) Mr. Rogers is upset. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a good show. I think I think about it like could you ever as a comedian could you ever host like a kid show? You know, a friend of mine used to run a um 
it was a live show at the St. Jude's Children's Cancer Hospital mm-hmm. because a lot of the kids can't come out of their rooms. Yeah. Um. So it was there. They have like a actually a very good entertainment center downstairs, and they do their own t- t- programming, yeah. so kids can call in live. So mm-hmm. they're like a part of. They're sort of, you know, communicating with other yeah. people and it's like game shows. And I thought I would be bad at it because I was afraid I'd like slip up. But I really liked it. Oh, cool. They're just like calling in. And, you know, we did a lot of like things where I had to guess what they were. You know what I mean? And so it was very interactive, but everybody could stay in there. Oh, so they could see it. They could see it because it comes through their room yeah. on the television. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's live. And I really enjoyed it. You um, did it in New York? Yeah. Oh, Wow. I would never think that St. Jude's is in New York. Well, it was a, chi- I mean, it was a children's hospital uptown. I don't know why I'm making it into a St. Jude's, <laughs> but I feel like that's, they, they have the lockdown on the children's ho- cancer they, hospitals. Jude's definitely is the top notch children's hospital, but I didn't know if they had Maybe it was a St. John's. We'll figure it out, but your heart was in the right place. But it was because my friend ran this program that I just came in. Yeah. And I, it was good. Um, it was like a fun, you know, so my thing is, how have you how have you kept your joy and your pleasantry after how many years of living in New York City? I moved here right before 9-11. So Ooh, you're committed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a while. Yeah. So how did how do you manage to say so cheerful and uppity and not uppity, but like uplifted and well, I don't know if all of it's positive because I feel like a lot of it makes me too worried about and there's obviously the part where you're I'm a people pleaser and I want people to but then underneath that is that I I feel responsible for other people's feelings which is not healthy you know what I mean I can't why are you an only child yeah oh okay did you did you were you socialized with kids as a kid or were you like the only kid in the house and then you would go to school and then come back home and be the only kid in the neighborhood and all that stuff I mean it's a small town so you know, I I knew all of the kids. I mean, but I was definitely an only child. Yeah, and I definitely fe- I definitely felt responsible for my parents' feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sure I was told I was responsible for their feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very disappointed. You like what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that was a quote that I'm, <laughs> but I feel like responsible for, and, and that's not healthy. Like I'm working on that because I have to be able to, you know, not feel like i need other people to be happy so much that i don't do things that i want to do yeah um but i think it's just a part of who i am at the end like i get excited about you know what i mean like yeah. i like i get overly excited about small things you know what i mean i think it's just a part of my personality no i think that's great i think that's why you um are a person i like to hang out with Thank you. Because you are funny. You find the joy in everything. I, I do get, I really get excited about. Except for that one time we did the thing with those people. That was very <laughs> odd. <laughs> Wasn't it odd? Me and Leah became cool when we both were a part of this like vi- video series. And they had us do stand up and they recorded us. And there were like four people in the audience. But it, but it was also really just us doing. It was really us doing all of the heavy lifting. Like all of the heavy lifting. And so you know how you sign up for one thing and you say, oh, just come in for a couple minutes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're and like, it's like five hours later. Yeah. What do you want for dinner? Oh, we're doing dinner orders now. Oh, okay. We were supposed to be there for like maybe 35, 40 minutes. And it turned into like a five hour shoot. And then we're like, what is this about again? Because mm-hmm. you just told us to come here and do a set. And now we're talking about like our childhood memories. Oh, yeah. 
and but thankfully nobody saw it so <laughs> do you, I think about that I think about I say I I don't not as much uh, anymore but for a while I would say yes to like almost anything and even if it was videotaped because I'd be like well this will be my this will be my footprint this will be my legacy you know when I get huge people can you know dig back in time and be like this is this little obscure thing that she did look how much she's you know I'm okay with that like how you know what's his name um what's his name the one that does the squiggly lines, Keith Haring. Okay. Keith Haring would like paint anywhere. He would do it on the wall, on the subway wall, so did Basquiat. They were like, yeah, this it's part of my growth. Oh, I don't mind doing it anywhere. I just, sometimes I'm just like, I can't even imagine some of the things that I've said. You know what I mean? Because you, you grow up, you become a different person. You know what? It's a good thing you mentioned it because. And you feel like it's all going to come back. Someone's going to be like, and you're going to be like, yeah, I, I have no idea why I said that. So I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but um, a comedian, Phoebe Robinson, was on the hot seat. Oh, I did no idea. I was from I saw it this week with Black Twitter with right because she said she didn't like Beyonce, and then she said she didn't like. So she wrote an article. So before, okay, so full as much as I'm aware of the story, Phoebe Robinson is a comedian. She's part of the duo Two Dope Queens with Jessica Williams. They recently had a four-episode run on HBO. They have a podcast called Two Dope Queens that they do with WNYC Radio. And Phoebe is a best-selling author of You Can't Touch My Hair. I think that's the name of it and like other short stories. And she wrote blogs for a long time. She wrote blogs for a long time under the pen name Blaria, Blaria. Black Daria. Uh, and so this article that she wrote in like 2012 or 13 basically was shitting on Beyonce and was like, Beyonce's not that great. She's shallow. Talking about more about her personality. Like she's shallow. Um, she's as shallow as a, as a vagina of a transsexual woman. Oh, is that what she said? Yes. Um, and so people were like, <laughs> no, laugh into the microphone, Leah, laugh into the microphone. Don't hide it. Don't I just hide didn't it. know that's what was said. <laughs> nobody requoted that part. They were telling me somebody. Oh yeah. Nobody quoted that part because Beyonce is the bigger lead on that. Um, so basically somehow something, something came up on the internet on Twitter and Phoebe all of a sudden is like standing for Beyonce and people are like, are you sure you're standing for Beyonce? Cause we remember when you said that she was trash and then she, said i don't know what you're talking about i don't remember saying that and then somebody went and dug up that article and highlighted screenshot it and retweeted back to her this is what you said oh and by the way you also said this about trans women so it was a two-for-one character assassination oh and so when you talk about remembering what you said it's like yeah you have to either go back when like because i think every person gets an inkling of like oh shit, I'm starting to percolate. Like I'm starting to become a little bit more recognizable. People are coming out to see me specifically. Like I am rising. My star is rising. So at that moment, when you feel like you're in a shift, your career is shifting, you either need to go and delete all that shit or stand firm two feet. Like I told you to do when those people was pushing you out of the way and be like, no, this is it. Move around it. This is it. Because my thing is, what she ended up doing was she apologized and was like, I didn't know what comedy was. And I just wrote it. It was so many years ago. It was five years ago. I'm such a different person now, blah, 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 blah. Like she made a lot of excuses. And I feel like that is not how you get people off your back. Because they can tell that you're just apologizing because you got caught, quote unquote caught. So I feel like 
if I said things, which I have, but I also made a mental decision a while ago that I try not to attack people on social media. Like even if they are celebrities and I hate that mentality of like someone being like, so what you famous, you paid for this and you, you deserve this attention. I, I try not to do that because I had a viral situation happen many, many, many years ago. There was a girl and she had taken a Rihanna dress like a like she saw a picture of Rihanna and she recreated that outfit for her prom and it was like a pantsuit with a cape but the cape pretty much connected like the ankle of the pantsuit to her wrist so when she raised her arms up it's like a wing it was like wings and so she posted this photo on social media and you know very happy as a high school girl very happy and so somebody else retweeted it and then I retweeted it and I called her prom bat like yeah right so and then she, and then she ended up being on like her local news because then she got like bullied and stuff for it and i was like oh yeah i can't do this even if it's like a fu- a funny pun or whatever like this is a girl in high school who's devastated because the dresses she wanted that she loved so much from rihanna now everybody's like ridiculing her for it. and i was like i'm making a mental note to not try to attack people like that or to attack celebrities because you know one day I'll be in that position and I don't you know you don't really know these people to just be talking about their hard work and all that stuff which brings us back to Phoebe it's like I made the decision not to do that I wouldn't have written an article like that about Beyonce but if I did I would stand by it and say at the time yes I said that and that's the way I felt I don't feel that way anymore. I apologize that something that I wrote five years ago offended you. I'm not that person anymore. But I knew exactly what I did. Like, to me, that's the thing is like, oh, I know exactly what I was doing. I knew what I was going for. But maybe she didn't. At the time, I could believe that someone was like, you said this thing. And you're like, no, I didn't. Because you genuinely don't remember. I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember what happened last week. You know, yeah. I would have to be like, I don't remember that. And then somebody, I'd be like, oh, I guess it wouldn't be because I was denying it. It was because I genuinely didn't remember. Well, I mean, but once they once they bring it to you. Oh, then I then, then you oh, say, then for sure. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I, I say that. definitely said that. And at the time I meant it. But I'm a different person now versus being like, I didn't know what I was doing when I wrote that five years ago. Right. I feel like also my guess is that it's hard. Like the first couple of times you get attacked on social media to like figure out how to handle it. She did a good job of like responding to people individually for a couple of hours. I'm I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm just mentally preparing. Like, w- like what's your? I just probably have a breakdown. That's what I'm gonna do. I <laughs> would just I would just craft a statement and I would pin it at the top of my timeline and I would post it on my social media on Instagram, Facebook, everything, and like this is my final statement. Because my thing is I'm not explaining myself. As we're comedians, like I'm not explaining myself. I will I will apologize for the way you feel about something that I did, but I'm not gonna apologize for doing what I did. Right. I think my problem is I apologize a little bit too much. Like the other night, I just made a joke. This guy with the audience and then I felt bad about it later you know what I mean when I'm like I was just I know what I said I know why I was saying that I was joking you know and then I'm like yeah. why am I taking this home yeah like I loved on Dave Chappelle's special where he said like I make it a practice to not feel bad about what I said on stage absolutely because I feel bad about everything and then I'm like that's where I have to stop it's like no this is your experience of it you're allowed to say that mm-hmm. but then I saw him like I worried about other people's feelings so much. I'm like, well, maybe that person felt that way because of this. It's hard to do that. When I mean, writing like in Phoebe's case, writing something is different than standing on stage and saying something in the moment, because when you stand on stage, it is literally in the moment and things come to things us all come the out. time that you have never even said before. Yeah. And so I think that is a little bit different. Um, but 
also we should not be a, apologetic about the things that we say because most times we cannot control people's intent. Like we know our intent, but we don't we can't control how you perceive my words and how it affected your life. Oh, for sure. You know, your my therapist just said that an hour ago. Oh, I should be a therapist. Yeah. Ben, that's really something that's so true. Yeah. Um, I just struggle with it. I realized that a while ago. I realized that when I used to do I used to do a couple jokes that were like racially charged in the sense like speaking as a black woman, I would say things about black people that were a little like um judgy, but that's my world. But if I'm saying it in front of a mixed audience or a mostly white audience, I could tell that they're laughing because they're racist. Right. And you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's like being a woman and saying, like, women are such bitches, right? And then there's a dude like, yeah, you're like, fuck. You're like, oh, I didn't want you. I didn't want you. That wasn't for you. And so I'm a little bit more mindful of, like, what I say because I don't want to be misconstrued. Because I've seen comics who all they do is cater, who all they do is, is aim for that, like, that meanness and at the expense of other people because they just want that character that they've created. But then when you, and, but they're really not that person. Mm-hmm. But then when you're like in the back of the club and you're watching their set and you see their fans that come out and they are that people, they yeah. are those people. And you're like, damn, you don't even know. They don't even realize the responsibility that they have because they discharged up these like hateful folks to go out into the world and be like, yeah, my favorite comedian just co-signed all of my crazy racist ass sexist shit that I've been thinking to myself. And it's like, yeah, you did all of that for what? $1,500 weekend pay? Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, that's a big responsibility. I feel like comedy has changed like from when I started where it used to be more like you really had to get a laugh off quick and it was like a lot of like insulty kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then now it's like gone through a whole like we're talking about stuff and like. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start comedy? You started in Maine or in New York? I started here in in 2005 and then. You know, I basically was out 2008 to 2010 with my mom. Mm. So you moved to New York before 9-11 for what reason? Um, I graduated college and my best friend from growing up was here. And she was like, you can come live with me and my girlfriend. They had an extra bedroom, which looking back now that I really like that was so kind. I mean, not at the time I realized how kind, but now I realized. Yeah. You know, just have someone in your home for God knows how long. You know what I mean? How I, long did you live with them? I don't know, but it was a while. You know what I mean? It really was a while. They were really, I'm sure I was like a horrible house guest too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was their home and I was still living like I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but Are uh, you still friends with them now? Yeah. Okay. So you must have been that bad. Or they're just very forgiving people. Well, they're, are they from Maine? So it's a Maine thing. <laughs> yeah, we're all the worst. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so- I, moved, I went to college for a film. I wanted to be a film producer. Mm. And then... When I was here, and and then I wrote my thesis in women's studies, so I was like talked about women in media, and then, you know, I think I was sort of like, then I, when I t- got here, I took some like, um, more hands-on classes, I think, for film, and then I did some acting classes, yeah, and I was really sort of just not connecting. I was un. I think I, I you know, I was finding myself basically. I, I didn't yeah. like acting. Acting at the time was very like there were very specific roles for women. Da, 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 and I was like, okay, this I love performing, but like I'm not any of these things. You know what I mean? I don't fit in any of these categories. These aren't things that I, stories I want to tell. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, I did a bunch of writing. And then a woman that I was writing a show with was like, can you take a stand-up class to help punch this up? Mm. And then I did. And I was like, oh, this is everything. This is performing. This is me telling my own story. Wow. And so it was like accidental. Wow. And then you, so you started in 2005. Mm-hmm. And then you've been doing it ever since. You said you took two years. So how was it taking two years off? And you like, you, t- you left, you left, left New York City. Were you in your relationship at that time? Yep. Wow. And you've been in this relationship for over. Oh, for 11 years. And so you took a two year two a year break. and a half off. Yeah. I mean. Not break from the relationship. Just, you just were long But distance. I took a break from, I really, it was like a. I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm an only child. I'm responsible for my, or I feel responsible for my family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they're self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So I just didn't know what to do. I just packed up and left. Wow. And he was very understanding. Yeah. I mean, I think after a while, I was like, are you moving back? You know what I mean? But he was very, I think that sort of solidified, uh, you know, he's like, do what you have to do. I'll keep it. I'll keep it going here. Mm-hmm. He slept on the floor with me in the hospital for a month. Wow. We just slept on the floor. Wow. Because I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been in a hospital, you know, somebody's got to advocate for people Mm -hmm. because not that the hospital staff is, but they're overworked. They're They're overworked and they love to come in at 7 a.m. and have a full fucking conversation. Everybody's, (laughs) you got to be in the room 24 7. You do because they, because when you go visit the person, they're like, so what did your doctor say? They're like, they came in at 7 o'clock in the morning. I was dead asleep and they said a whole bunch of shit. Yeah, my mom was in a coma for five weeks. Yeah. So it was like, we had to do everything. So that was like, and it really, I think, I was thinking about it the other day because it was like right when I was sort of coming into my own as a person, you know, yeah. like starting to get, you know, when you're starting to get, and I was like starting to do a little more, getting, a, you know, a little comedy. And then it's it really, not to make it about me because it was, you know, my mom was in the accident, but it really derailed my whole, you know, I had to start over. I also lost a lot of, I lost that t- time where you're really becoming an adult. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, it changes how you feel about, you know, um, say, not, not, not that I feel like I've ever felt like, you know, I've always been very aware that we all die, but like you feel very like, oh, at any moment, mm-hmm. you know, because it was a, a random circumstance, you know yeah. what I mean? So then it's just sort of was like... You said it was a car accident. Car accident. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, out of nowhere, you get a phone call. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck. So I'd sort of just really... I think it really took a lot longer to get over it than I allowed my... Because I was in... My dad and I were in the caretaker position. So we never yes. had the opportunity to feel sad mm-hmm. because we had... There was work to be done. Yeah. You just stay busy. Yeah. So then, you know like three years later you get really angry you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then then you know and then you're like where did all, all that time go yeah so when did you realize it was it was okay to go back to your life i think my parents were like you need to start going back to your life mm-hmm. and then i couldn't go back to my life i came back to new york and i had like really bad panic attacks like anytime the phone would ring mm. i couldn't get on the subway i just wasn't functioning and then um I got, I got, I went to an intake and I got like a, the therapist I have now. Oh, okay. Cause I just wasn't, I just wasn't clicking back in. Mm. I'm amazed that your relationship withstood all that. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, I also was very like, I couldn't even hug people. Cause I just was like, I was the person who had to like, had no feelings. You know what I mean? This is what mm. we're going to do. We're going to figure this out. We're going to get this done. We're going to move this here. 
you know, we're going to, we're going to yeah. get, you know what I mean? So then you became you, a drill sergeant. Yeah. And then you're like, have to move your feelings away from yourself. Otherwise it's too much. Yeah. So then you're like, how do I put all my feelings back in again? So when did comedy become good after, like how long after you came back to New York, were you able to stand on stage and like, was it just you just spewing your emotions and angry rage and like saliva spitting out <laughs> into mm-hmm. the audience? No, I didn't even, t- well, you know, I took a class at, um, the pit with Jen, I can't remember her name at the moment, but I took it with Carmen Lynch and we wrote one pe- person shows mm-hmm. and I wrote a one person show about my mom's car accident mm. and it really, I want to bring it back because now that I'm further away from it, yeah. um, I really felt like it was all my stuff together and it was talking about things that I think are important yeah. to- topics to discuss. Um, and then also when my mom started getting better, she, you know, she has, um, she has br- a brain injury. Yeah. So she, my dad and I were talking about it today because we were talking about how when people are physically sick, other people can rally around and understand but when you have a something they can't see and you're mm-hmm. off balance people like act like you're yeah. it's like no they have a they have a brain injury or they're they're going through a depression or whatever it is mm-hmm. um so then my mom for some reason my mom like got really upset about one of my jokes and then we had a huge fight about that and after i had just been you know what i mean it was like a huge thing Wait, in the one woman play no they never saw that in like somebody posted something online and my mom went and saw it and uh-huh. was like I very angry at her family and she was like don't put that out there that's not mm-hmm. you know what I mean um so that became like a thing and then but I basically like most of my heart was still at home because I was so I felt so responsible for their well-being but it's like you can't yeah what am I gonna move home and you know yeah walk around behind her all the time it's um funny you bring that up because I was reading an article about China and in China, they are missing 60 million women. Oh, wow. Through, through adoptions or pregnancy terminations because everybody's like, we don't want, we don't want a daughter. We don't want a daughter because they, you know, when they had the one child rule, that was a part of it. But also because in that culture and in another culture, um, oh, damn, I can't remember what it was, but I want to, I don't know. It was another um, Asian culture where, when the daughter gets married, she goes to live with that family and she takes care of that family. So if you have a daughter, your daughter's going to get married and she's going to go somewhere else. So you won't have anybody to take care of you. And so that's why a lot of those cultures will terminate or get rid of a daughter or, you know, send them to adoption. And so what they found is like, well, now your son has nobody to marry because there's no, you're missing 60 million women in China. And he is still living at home and he's not taking care of y'all. Yeah. Cause he's a man mm-hmm. and he's going to work at a factory 12 hours a day and he's not taking care of you. Or if he does find a wife, they have a kid and their wife leaves and that's happened. So now you have the grandparents taking care of the kid and the husband is in another town hours away working in a factory. And now you taking care of a child and you thought you thought, so isn't that crazy? Like cultures suspect, I mean, expect a woman to just take care of them. Yeah. To move to marry into the family and take care of them. It is crazy we're, that we've been the caregivers. Um, I mean that there's that whole that whole side of it which is crazy mm-hmm. and it's angering and it's unfair. And then these other side of it that it's like I want to be able to take care of my parents. Like I love them and I w- will miss them. And you know, so you're like ah, I don't want to lose that time. But then you have yeah. to move on with your life. That's life. But what is? But what is the? Where did we go wrong? Because I feel like generations before us, people took care of their family. I think you just lived in a compound. I think people didn't move <laughs> away from each other. Yeah. And now we move away. Yeah. I am. Um, 
which is like I I don't I I don't know how to I, there seems to be no way to fix it like I can't go back to Maine I would be unhappy there they're not gonna move you know what I mean yeah well I told my parents like wherever I go you know you're moving with me like even if you have a house in the back part of the property like if I have if I have like two acres of land you your house is somewhere on those two acres I think that's how it's gonna have to be that's what we're gonna have to move everybody's parents in the back yeah and I'm gonna have to somehow make enough money telling jokes yep. to have a, a back of the house yep a little compound. Yep. The bottom of a bunch in like oh a reality God. TV show. <laughs> I, I went out on a date with this guy and I told him that I was like, it, it came up like the family thing. And, um, and he's like, could you, cause I mentioned it to him. I was like, why, why wouldn't you like, you're the oldest, right? You wouldn't at some point take care of your mom. And he goes, well, would you date a guy whose mom lived with him? I said, actually at this point, the things that I've experienced with my with my grandmother, my grandfather passing and us having to relocate her, move her in and rearrange our lives to accommodate. Yes, I, w- I would be OK with that. I would be OK with that because that's your mom. You know yeah. What I mean? And so you know that she's OK. And as long as you have a space where it's like you are you have your privacy then it would be fine. Like, that's why, you know, they have like the, you know, the grandmother suite or whatever they call it. Like in certain, like certain houses have like a whole functioning area where someone could live. Yeah. It's self-sustainable. They have their own yeah. little bathroom mm-hmm. and you just walk downstairs and check on them and they come up, you know, like, so yeah, I think that will be even more ideal because I would rather have that person close by than you worrying sick about their care and they're somewhere far away. Yeah. Or you, like you said, getting a phone call or, you know, going over to your your mother's house and realizing she's been eating cat food for six months. You yeah. Know? Like, that's the type of shit that I'm like, oh, no. I know. My parents are th- right now are very healthy and physically functional mm-hmm. and they're doing great. Um, but, you know, I have fears. Yeah. Oh, I told my parents, I was like, y'all are definitely, uh, y'all have no say. I think my parents would be happy to move in with me when they, if I had like a home, they're like, we're not moving in your one bedroom. Also right now they have their, they're still working. Like they have their, I don't mean this isn't immediate. I just yeah. now because of the accident, I'm always like, ah, I can't lose you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I like you too much. What kind of art or do they do? They're potters. Oh, wow. I want some pottery. My mom's like a sculpt, originally a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they make, um, so she'll do some sculpting that's they make their living doing lamps and plates and my dad makes like larger things like um water fountains and planters wow and uh they that we have a kiln in our backyard and a propane tank do you know how to do it no i mean i worked there but i did casting i never threw it was like when the thing when you grow up and you're like whatever you do and now i'm like yeah that was so silly they they were doing something really cool you know but i was like "Ah, i don't want it don't make me do it I, when you think about like in Williamsburg, people charge like an arm and a leg to take a freaking pottery class. Yeah, and I, I grew up in a pottery studio. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I worked there, but I did like, I made glazes. I did casting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did they all don't the other do um, glass blowing, do they? No. That's that's intense. Yeah. They, well, they were in a co-op for a long time with like, there was like a glass blower, a jewelry person, a, a weaver. Dope. So that was like in Portland, the big city. And then, you know, you're part of a co-op. So everybody has to work so many days a month. And I remember going down. We would drive down. Mm. Um, so it was like a really, you know, looking back, it's an incredible lifestyle. I grew up with people who are artists and they worked for themselves. And they, you know, at the time you're like, why don't, why, you know, why don't we have a, you know, but I can't. I said these things as a child. I, 
can't take them back i think it's like i think i hurt my parents feelings now i'm like it's great you're amazing yeah did your mom's art change after her accident you know um i think for her she feels i she's she doesn't see how great she is which i wish she could just see it through my Mm -hmm. other people's eyes Mm -hmm. um but she really i wonder if it's one of the things that kept her able to because she was like i know i can throw i know i can paint Mm -hmm. and i'm going to get because she one of her eyes doesn't work as well Mm -hmm. um so it's you know it was really i don't know if i could have been my mother like to get up every day and just continually be like i'm gonna try this again i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do all these things again i don't know i feel like i would have given up Mm -hmm. but her ability to be like somebody's gonna fucking go to work you know what i mean like she just and um i think she does more she loves watercolor painting and she does more now that she didn't do before so she may actually allow herself because she can't mass produce the way yeah um that i think she maybe allows herself to do a few more um, oh, this is, I'm going to try this. Yeah. But, you know, in no way did it go back. It didn't, she didn't take any, she may, f- I think she feels like she's taken steps back, but she hasn't. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's impressive. And I think probably it was a thing that h- helped her. Yeah. Well, I want to include your parents, um, like links to their work and in, in this thing so people can check out their stuff. Do they sell online? They don't sell online. Leah. They've I've fought with them about it, but it for at the end of the day, it's for a very good reason. It's because in order to ship pottery, you have to guarantee that it won't break. And the shipping is like they have to do that themselves. Mm-hmm. And it takes like two hours to wrap everything. So they were like, we spent our whole lives developing group of people that buy our stuff and like come and they pick it out and you know what I mean? And they're like, we don't wanna they really hate it. We've had this argument many times and they're like you know stuff breaks in the mail and then they have to remake it and every piece is like a little bit different you know what i mean so it just never works out but i feel like you could at least order it and pay for it online and then go pick it up oh you can call them but you can't look at their works online. you can look at their work online but if you want to buy something you got to talk to somebody on the phone and it's one of them and they have two other people that will pick up the phone (laughs) but now they only work in the summer and then over the winter they throw they make okay and then in the winter they're open in the summer they're open Got it. So they have a little shop and everything. Yep. What's the name of the shop? Bonham of Pottery. Oh, okay. And they're very good. And I'm not saying that because they're my parents and I love them. I mean, if I'm on the outside, I'd be like, oh, shit. Those are, Let me check it out. Good. I'm going to check it out. I like, I like. Um, and they work together. That's the other thing. My parents work together. They live together. How do they manage? They're like one person. How do they manage? How long have they been together? They got together. Um. I think in fourth grade in a church, like in a wana. Leah, are you serious? I'm serious. Fourth grade? They were like, well, they went to church together growing up and then they broke up when my mom went to college. So they were together from fourth, like they were friends from the fourth grade. They dated in high school. I mean, the the whole. They didn't date. They weren't like boyfriend, girlfriend in fourth grade. No, they just knew each other. And then my mom went to art school in Pratt. In Brooklyn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my dad went to... Bates and then Northwestern for math. And then they got married somewhere in there Mm -hmm. and then moved to Trenton, outside Trenton. Mm -hmm. And then they moved up to Boston together so he could finish his master's. And then they moved up to Maine. They were like, that was their dream. They wanted to be like, they were hippies. They wanted to move out and have a garden and compost and reuse the same you know, plastic bag for 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) 
but they've really done you know looking now i realize how much it you know they've done very well and they're still together they're a strong couple they're very opposite people how has that affected the way that you look at relationships i think because i just see i see it as like uh you know people my my grandparents are the same way you're just i see it as like you're in it Mm. that's the deal if you if you've agreed to the deal that's the deal you show up for things you don't necessarily want to show up for (laughs) you you go through hard times together um you know there are certain deal breakers but like otherwise like that's the deal i I just sort of i think that's how i yeah um i i I think that it, it it affected me that way where i see it as now but you are in a modern relationship because you guys are not are you guys legally married no and do you want to get legally married i don't know if it's a thing that i have a i don't really have any feelings about Mm -hmm. you know it never comes up i mean we've talked about between the two of you yeah i know we've talked about it but it's like hey it's so much money to get married just to go to justice i know but if i just went to justice peace my mom would have a breakdown you know what i mean really she wants to like have a hat you know what I mean, and like she, you know, but she, you guys have been together for so eleven years. Like at this point, it's just like just go to the JOP. I know, but I also feel like if we were gonna, you know, I feel like it's like to have a party. So like, why don't we have a party at some point in our life when like when we have the energy to have a party? Mm-hmm. Whereas like right now, it's like it's just not a thing that I, you know, yeah, no, I I completely get it. I get it, but I understand that the mom thing. Yeah, she was. She, I think she's fine with where we're at. Like she gets it. But then if I if we just wanted to just the piece, because also it's like I grew up in this one church. Oh, what would the you know now nobody in the church can come. And then you know she loves like uh, my mom loves going to yard sales. So she'd be like, I got all these things for a cake. You know what I mean? She, it's like more. It's like <laughs> you know what I mean? It would be so you would do it for her essentially. I feel like that's probably why a lot of people have weddings. I I don't really want a big wedding. And I and I'm actually okay with going to the Justice of the Peace, but same thing. My mother would have a heart attack. My mother would have a heart attack, and my dad would be distraught that he couldn't walk his only daughter down the aisle. Yeah, I feel like parents feel like my dad wants to dance. He's always brought it up. I want to have a dance. You know what I mean? Not like a slow dance, yeah. like a fast dance to yeah. like a fun song. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like I sound like such a you know. I also think it's a part of being like a small unit. Like they move Mm -hmm. far away from there where I'm like, I'm a part of my parents in almost an unhealthy way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Where we're all yeah, really wound up in each other. You're the only child. Yeah. You're all they got. They put all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. And in many ways I'm, they're all I got. Like as far as like my history and Mm -hmm. my memories. Yeah. So, you know, I'm invested. How could you not be invested? I I always marvel at people who have been able to just chuck the deuce at their family and just go live a whole nother life like their family never existed. Like that freedom of just being like, thanks for your services. And now I'm a new person. Call me a new name or whatever it is. I feel like they probably had like something that happened that was a break that that, that, that was, you know, or it was some like. Some people is, some people don't. Some people, some people are like, my family's batshit crazy and they're evil people and I don't ever want to talk to them again. And some people are like, no, nah, I think I'm good. Is it people who are like, no, nah, I think I'm good. I'm just going to go live my life and be who I want to be. Always impress me. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's ununderstandable to me. 
not uh, not not that I don't get why it wouldn't why a person would do that more like I can't imagine I feel guilty wanting to have Thanksgiving with my friends which I don't but and for like a second I'm like this may be the year where I just go have Thanksgiving with my friends and then I'm like nope can't do it oh yeah if I didn't go home for I, hey, I love going home for Christmas but I would never not yeah for for your friends no for my parents. No, I'm saying like you would never not go home to see your parents just to go to your friend's house. Yeah. Like that's not an option. The only way I think I can get out of seeing my family for Thanksgiving and Christmas is when I have my own family. And then they like with kids, like not a husband. Like I have to be married, pregnant or with kids. And then I'm like, hey, guys, you guys got to come over here. Right. That would be the only way. Or or we're going to see you guys for Thanksgiving and we're going to get his family for Christmas. But that's only if he his family doesn't live in the tri-state area or something like that where they'd be like no 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 hit both houses go there for yeah <laughs> go there for early dinner come here come for here. dessert yeah it would no there's no way to get around it i think we're just gonna have have the big houses with the back with the back house oh that'd be wonderful i think my dad hates cities he likes like mountains he gets very nervous my mom loves cities mm. so you need to be somewhere where you're like 20 30 minutes from like the main drag mm-hmm. with is like a walmart nearby oh they, they both hate walmart oh they do oh they're really hippies so where did they go for i mean their... they'll both go but i have to pretend that we didn't go what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> like they act real like uh-uh and then they'll be like should we stop at walmart <laughs> and then they'll be like fine <laughs> then they'll be like you know but they wouldn't go there every day Oh, definitely not. Well, the nearest Walmart is like 40 minutes from my parents. Wow. They're really remote. Yeah, they're remote. But like there, there's this place called Marden's in Maine. And my mother loves it. It's like day old, you know, things that are just like slightly past their expiration Ooh. date. My mom does not believe in expiration dates. That's one of her. She's really? like, they just say that to make you buy more stuff. And so, so there's green mold on the <laughs> yeah, She doesn't even care. Just take it off the top. But she, um, but they also have like... You know, flip-flops that have, like, an extra thing on them, but they still work as flip She just loves this place. It's called Martin's. And where it's, like, somebody made too many shirts, and that's extra shirts. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And everything's, like, five cents or whatever. She loves it. It's, like, a day out. Can we go to Martin's? So then she just found out – I mean, loves it. She just found out that the main governor's name is Le- – LePage, my dad calls him LePlague, so I can never remember. <laughs> and he's like a really bad tea party person. Like he's bi- Is he the one that said that black drug yes. dealers are going up there and having yes. sex and getting white girls pregnant? Yep. I've been to Maine. There are no there's no plethora of black drug dealers <laughs> in Maine. He just says like the most offensive, yeah. ridiculous. And he also does things where like um People will leave their land in Maine in a trust so mm-hmm. it cannot be built on mm-hmm. and it goes to the national parks mm-hmm. and then it has to get turned over with 10 years. Otherwise, it goes. And so he on purpose, all these people that deeded their land, let it expire so it could get like, which is like not even he yeah. like does all these horrible things. And what's happened in the past two elections is that people have pumped money into a third candidate and then the Democrats get split and then he keeps getting brought back. Oh, wow. And. So I can't remember his name because my dad calls him La Plague, but it's La Page. Mm. And um, there he's like, my parents will like stay up all night rallying against him. Like they, you know, he's really everything that they are against. But 
he apparently owns the major stock in Martin's and my mother just found out and it was like it was like I was watching her go through a crisis of faith you know what I mean yeah. because it was like here's her one day expired favorite green bean cans mm-hmm. for five cents and it's the major investor is wow. so she's like trying to find loopholes in it you know what I mean like well maybe he's not no I think he's the owner you're gonna have to wow. pick that's hard that's like you know LGBTQ supporters in Chick-fil-a oh yeah you got to make a decision. I mean, I've never been to Chick-fil-A, so I feel like that was easy. I did Chick-fil-A once and I was in Oklahoma because it was like I kept hearing so much about it right around the time. Like I heard the backlash about it right around the time when they were supporting uh, anti-gay marriage uh legislation and so I was like well let me just see what this chicken is about and it was all right it was okay but it wasn't it wasn't enough to you know kill gays about (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's a food that I would be like I have to have this no matter what their politics are I mean I'd be super upset if the empanadas place next to our house I found out some shit but I'd be like all right oh but see the thing is like it's not even see Chick-fil-a is a brand so like it would have to be and there's really nothing really like Chick-fil-A out. You know what I'm saying? So I guess why people feel like strong armed to getting it. But if it was like French fries, like if they were like the people who make McDonald's French fries keep babies in dungeons. I'm like, I'll just go to Wendy's. Yeah. that's a- Yeah. But if it's like, I'm trying to think of something that only one person makes. Like the company who I love, Ferrero Rocher Chocolates. Mm-hmm. Like if they were into like bestiality. I might still have to get no, <laughs> no. You could find another chocolate. Uh, I guess this is how I know I'm getting older. Uh, that my chocolate, my chocolate candy bar consumption has been definitely upgraded. Oh, mine's getting worse. Yeah, you're gonna do and going fancy. I can't. I go fancy. I don't like. I don't like Snickers and Kit Kats and M and M's anymore. They taste like trash chocolate to me. It doesn't. I feel like it's not even really chocolate. No, they're definitely like a. But I feel like I've been like recently. I've been eating like runts. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> I like I like more high end stuff. I like a Godiva, you know, something with a little toffee in it. Ooh, yeah. I go for the dark chocolate now, which is very strange because I love milk chocolate, but now I'm like, well, dark chocolate's so much better 52. for you. Fifty two. I like, I like my chocolate with percentages on it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Higher higher the percentage, the better I feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. This one that's like or or de or. It's a D mm-hmm. and then a. Oh, our, when I went to college, they had it in Quebec, but now it's in the United States. But they have like an 86%. Yeah. So it was my dad's favorite. I always bring it, bring it across the border. It's fancy. Yeah. That's how you know you're changing. You're change, your taste changes. I, I really like Cadbury. Easter. Oh, never. Fucking hell. Gross. Really? All that creamy shit in the inside. Mm, I like to put it in the freezer. Oh. And then it slowly melts. Yeah. No way. Mm-hmm. I remember the cat. So the Cadbury Bunny egg commercial was very seasonal. It comes on around Easter. And it's so crazy because television has changed. Like, I don't even know if they even show that commercial anymore. But we don't even watch TV for commercials. I just yeah. stream everything. But you would be inundated with this fucking commercial. Now auditioning for the Cadbury Easter Bunny. Oh, yeah. And it was all these other animals putting on, uh, like, real animals with, like, bunny ears and then they would settle on a bunny and I would want the candy for that. But then at the end, they crack it open. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Oh, I love it. What is it? I don't know. Gross. Yeah, I like it. Oh, my God. It's like creamy. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it's like icing. It's That's melted. I'm going to look and see what is inside. I also like candy. the Robin's eggs. I don't like no eggs with shit in it. 
like if it's well, that's candy. just a hard chocolate with like a crunchy shell. My mom would get an Easter bunny dark chocolate and it would have a toy inside. So it was a hollow oh. Easter bunny because she worked at Bloomingdale's and they did it every year. And so you would crack it open and it would be like a real present, not even a toy, like like a sterling silver keychain or some shit like that. Inside. Oh, and we would just eat off that big ass bunny and dip it in peanut butter. Oh, when I that's talk good. About heaven. That's really good. That is. Probably where I started getting my dark chocolate uh, affinity for. I remember my mom and I made candy when I was younger. We'd get like a coconut and cut out like, you know, get the coconut out of the full Mm -hmm. coconut. And then she would heat chocolate up on like one of those things where you like boil the water on the bottom and then you put chocolate on top of it. Because like my mom's mother, you know, they were like gardeners. So like they canned everything. They Uh, made their own jellies and jams. So like she came from that. I remember we made pickles all the time. We had pickles yeah, and all that. My grandmother makes pickles, the mason jars and the. I feel like I want to go, but like I, I used to be like, I don't want to do this. I want to be like my friends that are getting processed food. Now I'm like, I wish I learned all that because that but was. But you can still learn. Oh, yeah, but I just don't have space. You know what I mean? That is true. Okay, so the inside of a Cadbury egg is white and yellow cream filling. I mean, that sounds amazing. I really like icing. I like homemade icing because like store-bought store-bought icing tastes like nothing to me in the yeah the tubs oh i love it it's just sugar but also you got to realize that the way food is prepared now was way worse than it was when we were growing up so back when we were kids it probably was actual like real sugar and real cocoa powder and real vanilla bean now it's like all the shit because you know it's all like flavors it's not the real thing it's all fake yeah, and it's like one company that does all of the stimulations for the the, the taste of things. So like smoke flavor, chicken flavor, sh- shrimp flavor. They just create this chemical that they just put drops in your food and you're thinking, oh, I'm eating. It's so weird. Isn't it nuts? Every day I think about it, I think we're more and more like um, the movie Snowbender. Was it Snowbender? Snowpiercer went on that train. Yeah, went on a train and they were just like eating like crazy shit. Yeah. I remember seeing years ago, Shishwini, I remember seeing years ago about the Beyond Burger. It was like on 60 Minutes or something like that. And it was like, scientists are working on a burger that looks just like meat and it bleeds like meat too. Oh. And it doesn't bleed like meat. It just has, it has beets in it. It's all plant-based. No soy, no, no gluten, no seitan. So it's like vegetables that are minced together. Well, that seems normal. Yeah, but so, but then now you're thinking, and so when the scientists were talking about it, they were like, we're doing this because we're going to reach a point and in, in, with climate change and in this country where we just cannot no longer sustain a cattle industry. Yeah, the cows are, I mean, because it takes so much to raise them on. Yeah, and they, and they release so much toxins into the air, which causes, you know, changes to the ozone and all that other stuff and farmers don't get paid any money so funny that um the president tweeted that this country was built by farmers and we're going to protect farmers and farmers are what made this country great i was like do you mean enslaved people uh, also nobody's being protected because i know you ain't talking about old mcdonald <laughs> because farmers don't make any money no they and they bust their fucking i have a few friends that are farmers they work all the fucking time 12 hours a day they're up at like four o'clock in the morning oh yeah doing crazy shit and they should be just paid they should just be paid like there's no reason why they shouldn't be paid 
Well, it's also people that are trying to make real food are being punished by because, co- corporations. Yeah, who are making, oh, we can make tons of that, which is all these chemicals. Yeah, Montecito, I think that's the way you say it. They, um, they, all of their seeds are genetically um, created and patented. So what they do is they sell their seeds to farmers. Farmers use the seeds, plant it, grow it, harvest it, and then they, you know, pay them for the seeds and then they sell it off or whatever. So if a fa- at the end of the harvest, if a farmer's caught with any seeds that weren't used or, or, or caught hoarding seeds, they're fined because they are the intellectual property of Montecito. And so what they do is in certain farms, they hire little kids to go into like all of the farming equipment to to collect all the unused seeds that maybe didn't go out into the dirt or whatever when you know with the machine and they go into the machines and they use their little kid hands to get all the seeds and return them back to Montecito. Oh my god. Yeah, so I met a girl and she was telling me the story and I was like, that's crazy. She was like, yeah, but that's also how like families make money. Like you like you're 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 a city person saying that's terrible that Montecito is doing this and they're like, yeah, this is how families survive out here. Like kids have to go do this thing like that's just the reality yes people got to work we're stuck in this really weird position where people got to work but then it's like it's making it harder for people to actually make a living yeah because i mean because in order for us to really do an about face and get back on track as an economy as a country when it comes to you know families making a living wage and all the way up to climate change you would have to do a complete stop down you would have to do a stop down. You would have to do a reset. You have to restructure the economy. You would have to address things that have been lingering. You would have to put in, you know, sanctions or put in laws that regulated industry so that a CEO of a pharmaceutical company isn't making $30 million a year. Like, you know, you would have yeah. to just be like, okay, guys, listen, this is what we got to do. We got to throw the dead weight off the ship because we're about to sink. And people would have to take a dive and people, the people who are making all this money don't want to take a dive, which is crazy because like, how much is enough? Like, how much money do you really need? Yeah, oh, there's some point they can't even spend it. It's, you can't spend it. Way past how much money they're spending. You can't spend it. You're, you, because you live in this gilded cage, you're, you're feeble and weak. You can't do anything. Like, you can't, you physically have been so isolated from the real world that if push came to shove, you are of no use in a real world situation. Because you've been just making money. Well, it's also the problem. I mean, there's many problems, but it's like we're not even at a point where people actually want to dialogue about things that we could do to actually fix stuff because people want to just blow up other people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And be like, well, no, it's because of this. It's like, well, why don't we actually try to work it out and fix it? Like, you know what I mean? Like throw out ideas and be like, well, if we did this and did this and oh, that doesn't work for you. Well, how how would you feel about this? But I feel like people genuinely don't want like under obama i felt like obama really was invested in trying to find good ideas Mm -hmm. that would how could we fix things and now i feel like people really don't they want to pretend it's one thing and do this thing and then lie about all these other things because because the the american mentality has always been we shouldn't have to do xyz I shouldn't have to be, I shouldn't have to compromise. I shouldn't have to work harder. I shouldn't have to not have the American dream. I'm entitled to X, Y, and Z. So if you're asking me to change my way of life, I shouldn't have to do that. It's like fucking coal mine. It's like, dude, it's 2018. Stop being a coal miner. I don't even think. And they're like, I, I shouldn't he's have talking to. about coal miners. I don't even think that that's that many. No, it's not that many. There, there, are, more, there are more yoga instructors in this country than there are yoga. I mean, than there are coal miners. 
I think at the end of the day, people just want to make a living. They want to make a living, but they don't want to have to alter their reality to make a living. You like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're a coal miner, you're not going to want, they don't want to go back to school. They don't want to learn another trade. They don't want to learn about, you know, solo panels. They're like, I'm a coal miner. But I don't think it's the coal miners that are really the problem. I think it's the big money people that oh, are. No, no, I'm just using them as an example. You know what I'm saying? But it's like people, even big money people is like, I make $30 million a year. Why should I make 10? Oh, for sure. And you're like, you're, you're good. I will never forget there uh, there was a um a Capitol Hill hearing about the company the EpiPen company and how they like jacked up the price to like oh yeah I don't know like seven hundred dollars or seventeen hundred dollars something really astronomical and they had the CEO there and it was a woman and uh one of the politicians was like so tell me what did you do what did you do to earn X amount of millions of dollars a year like what like were you in the lab like were you how did you do you like what how do you quantify your salary and she's like yeah i mean i don't know like she didn't say that but she definitely didn't have an answer because like you haven't done anything you just you just made the company more money by raising up the price and so you get rewarded for all this millions of dollars i mean you could have been using your technology to just save more lives yeah i feel like money has become such a when it's like ideally we would hope for the good of the the good of everyone I mean, that goes back to my, you know, yeah. saying bless you, where it's like, I'm really at the end of the day, like, can everybody have a little bit? <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes, they could. But the people who have the most would have to share and they don't want to share. They feel like they shouldn't have to share. The thing is, is that we could. Even if they weren't sharing, we could make it more of a fair chance if we as the people who aren't the gazillionaires could all get on the same page. But I feel like what's happened is they have are like pitting all of us against. So we're yeah. fighting about things that are irrelevant while other people are making billions of dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. But see, like even with even with the Occupy Wall Street. We had all these millions of people across the country talking about how Wall Street is making money off of student loans. Like we need to erase student loan debt. And then they're rightfully so for saying that. There's no reason how, how do you think an economy is going to grow when a 21 year old graduates school, $125,000 in debt? They're just going to be paying, they're just going to use their life to pay that off. So erase the debt and then, you know, jumpstart the economy. And then you have people being like, well, I didn't go to college. So why should they not have student? That's the division right there. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you had a race, if you erase student loan debt in this country, the economy would grow exponentially because now people have the money to spend. spend on the economy and grow the economy versus saying, I have to pay $375 a month on my student loans. You could use that money to do so much more right. for you and your family. And you can't. I think we also can have a not that. Yes. And I think it's also like it's like there are so many options when people go to college, like people don't want to go to state schools. People don't want to. It's mm -hmm. like you don't need to go to the hundred thousand dollar year college yeah. at the end of the day. It's all the same. Yeah. And you probably end up being a comedian, not using your degree anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you are going to end up doing something completely <laughs> random. I like college. but I feel like you're le I was learning how to learn. I was getting more information. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I study journalism, so I think part of it, like the pre, the all the freshman courses you have to take, like they make us take antiquity. So it's like I'm learning about Plato and Socrates for what reason? I know, but it's interesting. I mean, you it have is, it. It you. is interesting, but like the fact that it's like a requirement, like you have to take an antiquities course, and I feel like it's always the same time and antiquities from the same region of the world versus like ancient asian culture or african culture or south well, there should be one from every yeah all over but it's always the white guys in the togas 
um, that you had to like read about. So I feel like that part is like, eh, I could have done without that. And then of course my major, thankfully I knew what my major is and I was passionate about it. So I took a lot of classes that I wanted to and that major, but outside of that math science, like, uh, I guess, I mean, it really had no application to my life. Yeah. I wish I had a little more basics on that. Not math. I have math, but science. I feel like I was like, I don't even I was so bad at science. I feel like I, I, last thing I learned was like photosynthesis, and then I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I think the last thing I I took chemistry in high school, and I think I took like a I didn't take a science class. I took like a some sort of I took some sort of sciencey type of theory class, but I was so bad in chemistry that the teacher was like, "I'll pass you if you don't take chem too," <laughs> and I was like, "Deal." <laughs> Give me that 65 <laughs> and let me go about my life. Oh, yeah. I was so ready to be done with that. All right. So, Leah, let's wrap this up. I think we had a good conversation. Oh. Um, it went by so fast. I ended the same way with all of my guests. Uh, Leah Bonama, please tell us what makes you a social misfit. Oh, wow. Um, You know, I feel like I could have a really good answer for this in five minutes. Uh, I think I'm, I would put all of most comics under the umbrella of misfits, you know, social misfits, because I feel like we have already decided, like, I'm not living this kind of life where it's a, it's a schedule that someone else has set up. You yeah. know what I mean? We're living sort of on the, uh, borderlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about things that we some people don't really want to have talked about and we put ideas out that may or may not go over well and so we're sort of um you know it's very rock and roll Mm -hmm. and um i think we put ourselves out there like you're putting your your whole self out for other people which i think is very misfitty yeah um winnie relax so we're just not rule followers in the same way Mm mm-hmm even though in many ways I'm a rule follower. Like I mm-hmm. always cross at the lights and, you know, all of those things. Do you really, Leah? Always. And you live in Queens. Yeah, I always cross at the lights. It drives everybody I'm walking with crazy. Can we just cross at the light? Thank you. Um, it just brings you zen. It just brings you peace. Like you feel like you're doing your part to keep the harmoniousness yeah. going. I feel all those things. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to get up early and I'm not going to, you know... I don't think women should be in a kitchen. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I, w- I will cross at the lights. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people find you on social media? Um, you know, I'm trying to trying to get more into Instagram. Okay. So, well, my Instagram and my Facebook and my Twitter are the same. It's at Leah Bonema. L-E-A-H-B-O-N-N-E-M-A. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What are your goals for Instagram? Um... You know, uh, Facebook is not a happy place. Facebook, I wish that I could delete all of my shit on Facebook. Me too. I just have my page now. I have my page and I have my personal page, which you have to have in order to have a fan page. But I pretty much told people like, I don't use this. Yeah. Well, I I don't. I made my personal page under a different name and I don't have any friends. So it's not like I really have a page. I just go on to run the, I mean my, yes. But, you know, Instagram, I think I want to get, I feel like Instagram is like the place where you can actually share life things more and like a so i just want to get up my you know people and seeing Mm -hmm. so yeah same Mm -hmm. i I said same yeah a slice of life 
enjoy comedy more post some pictures of you on stage even though you always hate people taking pictures of you on stage oh, well people take from the worst angles the back of the room and like a lower level than you because we're on a stage yeah i know but you could people could stand up and like hold the thing but instead they're like let me get down here and and shoot from an upward angle and get up your skirt oh my lord <laughs> it's always like would you want that of yourself posted you know when people yeah. post it yeah but you know they're just trying to be supportive so then you're like thank you but, and then you have like a two-hour cry session i don't cry but i well we'll eat some pop chips oh that's how you drown your sorrows <laughs> yeah. pop chips <laughs> well thank you leah so much for coming and hanging out with me and winnie thank you guys for listening i will have leah's parents uh links to their stuff that you can look but cannot buy in the description below and also we'll have a link to leah's trailer for solving leah oh thank you of course that's the whole point it's just to get people out there thank you very well, much take to you later guys bye <laughs> <laughs>